You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. And this is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. It's Tuesday, August 9th. Venture capitalists and certain people in the music industry are enthusiastic about the potential for artists to benefit from technology like the blockchain and like NFTs. But there isn't universal agreement, especially among musicians themselves, that any of this is necessarily a good idea. What are the big trends? And what are the big areas of disagreement? Bloomberg reporter Lucas Shaw, who's based in L.A., joins me to continue our coverage of crypto and the music industry. The upside with some of these newer technologies is that you can build communities and maybe give fans a sense of greater ownership. Lucas, what brings you to New York? Uh, I'm seeing my family mostly out on the North Fork of Long Island. That sounds very pleasant and frankly more fun than trying to convince people that they are misunderstanding NFTs and music, which is what we're going to try to do here. <laughs> no, no crypto discussion on, on the North Fork. My relatives are not up on it. Well, you can send them this episode and change their minds. But you have spent quite a lot of time in L.A. and other places really getting into the nuts and bolts of like the business of entertainment. And you've written and reported on various stories around well, I would say like there's kind of a theme of how people are misunderstanding the infrastructure of creativity and the network that talent, whether that talent is a musician or a Hollywood actor, are tapping into. And I'd love for the purposes of this episode to kind of start there, right? People are hearing NFTs are going to solve music, full stop. What is your response to statements like that? Well, there's long simmering frustration, resentment in the creative industries, but especially in music, that you have a small number of largely executives, largely white male executives who control the industry. Mm -hmm. And they have, for, for most of its existence, extracted a lot of wealth from the work of other creative people. So you've had famous examples like a prince who referred to his kind of record contracts or referred to himself as being a slave in a record contract and broke off on his own. On December 31st, 1999, my publishing contract with Warner Chapel expired, thus emancipating the name I was given before birth, Prince, from all long-term restrictive documents. I will now go back to using my name instead of the symbol I adopted as a means to free myself from all 
undesirable relationships. There's always been this desire for the artist to gain more power. And I think any way of doing so is probably for the, the net benefit of the creative class. It would be great if we didn't only have a few gatekeepers who controlled everything. But decentralizing that power is much harder than people realize. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, not good because there are benefits to having kind of infrastructure that most people use. And so I, I think there's a lot of promise in what cryptocurrencies and NFTs and the blockchain can do for music. But how it will actually be executed is, is still a little bit fuzzy to me. We've seen some pretty big names get really excited about you know, music NFTs, music and blockchain. I'm thinking here like Snoop Dogg, Steve Aoki. These are people who have created their own platforms or have argued for the importance of music NFTs. And then you have venture capitalists jumping on board as well, who are willing to pour a lot of money into these projects. They're willing to you know, really back something that we're kind of still figuring out what exactly the best use for blockchain is in music. So I want to ask you more specifically when you say benefits, like what are some of those benefits? What do I not get if I, as a musician, decide to release my latest album as an NFT on a blockchain? What am I missing out on? Well, for one, you're missing out on most of the audience. Majority of music listeners do not own cryptocurrency, do not use blockchain technology. Most of them probably don't know what an NFT is if they were pressed to define it. Mm -hmm. And music is about ubiquity. You know, if you're Harry Styles, Bad Bunny, Dua Lipa, one of these artists who has a new, mu a new song out, you want it to be everywhere. It's the whole reason why they've never been able to quit a place like YouTube or now a TikTok, places that don't pay them a lot of money, but introduce them to millions of fans. So the upside with some of these newer technologies is that you can build communities and maybe give fans a sense of greater ownership in mm -hmm. what you're doing, or in some cases, literal ownership. But you are niche casting and not everyone wants to do that. Does this calculation really depend on if you are literally Bad Bunny <laughs> versus if you're somebody who's up and coming? Yeah, I mean, what, that, that's definitely one of the reasons people are interested in it, because music royalties are incredibly complex. And it is one area where the record labels and the music publishers wield a lot of control and have often signed young artists to rather extractive contracts that it takes them years and in some cases decades to get out of. Mm -hmm. And so if there's a way for you to maybe use NFTs to raise money on your own and then use the blockchain as a more transparent sort of ledger of money that in like in theory sounds great to these artists who are used to getting screwed over by the record label mm -hmm. I, again i think the challenge there is how many people are you going to get to transact that way only the artists at the very very top of the industry make a lot of money from streaming on spotify and apple music and youtube and, and nobody else makes much Here's a clip from a recent episode that we did about decentralizing the music industry. It featured DJ and CEO of Royal, Justin Blau. Justin had this to say about a common misconception in the music industry. I think a lot of people are stuck in the illusion that music doesn't make money. Um, when in reality, music generates quite a bit of money, especially on streaming, which makes up about 85% of all recorded music income. It's just the people who are capturing that income are, are institutions and the institutions that have owned rights over years and years and years and years of time, decades of time. What if the world was a bit different? What if the public could actually own rights in their favorite artist's music? And so if you are a, kind of an early adopter that was able to kind of get a lot of attention for what you're doing, you can probably make some money. The question then becomes how scalable is that? One of the things you've also highlighted is people have always paid for merch. 
right? They will go to a concert and then save the tickets and they'll buy the t-shirt or they'll buy the album cover, the vinyl printing, the rare vinyl printing. <laughs> like a lot of music and a lot of fandom is about stuff. And some NFTs are really trying to tap into that. So when we spoke to Hannah Miller in another episode, she mentioned, you know, she talked about the deal that the Chainsmokers did with Royal, where if you got one of their NFTs, you got access to merch. It strikes me that this is a more complex way to have access to merch. But are you hearing any musicians say, actually, this is benefiting them more than just the T-shirt sales? Well, the benefit has less to do with the basics of the transaction. It is much easier. If you're an, if you're an artist, it's much easier to have your label, your tour promoter, someone you hire, take care of the merch, right? Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of this debate over what role kind of crypto will play in the music industry comes down to is how much as an artist do you want to control and dictate? And if you want to take ownership of that process, the odds are that if you execute properly, you will make more because there will be fewer middlemen or those middlemen will work for you. Mm -hmm. And you can also do so in a way with an, an NFT or with regular merch where you're you're interacting more directly with your fans. Mm -hmm. the, the issue then becomes, do you want to do that? There are a lot of forward-thinking artists who do like that. And, you know, musicians more so than almost any creative are sort of like a small business because everything stems from them. But the vast majority of artists over time have, have ultimately chosen to have someone else do it for them. Right. They're like, I'm going to be in the studio. <laughs> someone I, else handle the T-shirts. Or I want to I be in the studio and then after, you know, two months of recording or whatever it is, I want to go hang out on a beach for a bit before I tour. I yep. don't want to have to then spend a week or two weeks coming up with the merch plan for my tour. One of the other ways that we're seeing music, record companies, artists interact with NFTs is through intellectual property. So you've reported on an NFT supergroup. <laughs> Tell us more about that. There is a, an executive at, at Universal Music Group, which is the biggest music company in the world, named Celine Joshua, who is very zealous about NFTs. I mean, all these record companies, you know, they tend to have these digital divisions where those folks are more forward thinking and looking to push the envelope. And the people who actually run the companies are more traditional because they see all the money just coming in from streaming or record sales or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And they give their, their team a little bit of money or in some cases a lot of money to fool around. And so Celine has both, she bought an NFT for UMG and she had this idea to make a, a, a group that consisted of several bored ape NFTs. I assume listeners of this podcast know what that is. Yes, probably fair. more so than I do. <laughs> and I think again, her idea was to try to facilitate a community around this group. They did it, their kind of first mint and raised a bunch of money that way, and have have built something of a, of a fan base for this group before they've put out any music. When she first told me about this, I was a little confused because I'm a Luddite when it comes to all this. And I was like, okay, so how, like, who are the band members Right, exactly. Be? Is this like a gorilla's and, situation? And, and how are they going to make music? And what will the visual aesthetic be? And so, you know, she bristles at comparisons to the gorillas, but I do think it's fairly apt in that there will be people that you I don't mean, literal know. literal apes. Yeah, th there, <laughs> but there will, be, there will be people you don't know behind the scenes making the music. The virtual manifestation of this group will be these ape characters that she has loaned or had worked out some commercial relationship with the owner of those NFTs. I have several questions, but first I will start with why? Oh, I mean, if you're one of these executives in a, a digital department and trying to find a way to put your company into crypto in some real way, 
I think this is a good experiment, I guess, if you will. And it's, it's a, a way to test and prove a lot of different theories that she and others have around how kind of music and cryptocurrencies can play together. And if you form it in the guise of, of a group, it's certainly a way to kind of get attention of fans. And it's, it's, you're putting something together in a way that your bosses understand. Like Lucian Grange, who runs Universal Music Group, like he understands what a music group is. Yes, I would hope. Yeah. <laughs> that seems fair. And other than these being, you know, IP licensed apes, I think it was like three board apes and a mutant ape yep. and some musicians behind them who will hopefully be making interesting music. Is there anything blockchain native about it? So is it that to listen to this, you have to be on one of the decentralized music platforms? Or is it that to buy the music, you're going to be doing it on a decentralized music platform? They haven't shared a ton about the plans for that, in part because unless something has changed in the the recent future, and I don't think it has, there's no music yet. And they're really slow playing it because, you know, when they first announced this group, it was near the, the zenith of crypto enthusiasm. Oh, yeah, it was November 2021. <laughs> and so obviously some of the optimism has faded. And so I think they're trying to properly navigate how best to position it. They may have waited a little bit on the minting because mm-hmm. it has now gone well, but they had to time it correctly. And so I think a lot of the rollout of this group will depend on what we're seeing in cryptocurrency markets and, of course, on the creative side. Thank you, Lucas. We'll be right back. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. If you are in, you know, artist discovery or whatever those kind of specialized functions of things are, in the same way that sometimes like reporters feel like they have to have a lot of fans on Twitter in order to get a job in media, are you seeing any kind of similar metrics for up and coming artists? Are people saying, hey, it really helps if you have 
a crypto community or a board ape, or is this still like a fairly niche, as you said earlier, like a niche casting proposition? I think it's having a big following on social media is the baseline. If you were to talk to someone who works in artist and repertoire at A&R, which is sort of the scouting and creative side of a lot of these record labels, you know, they are finding acts based on what data they're seeing in Spotify streams, mm-hmm. YouTube, and and a lot TikTok, of that is driven by a lot of that is driven by TikTok, exactly. Yeah. So one of the things that's different, I mean, to go back to this idea of of decentralization and putting more power in the hands of the artist, one thing that has given artists more power is they do get a following on social media with their music often now before they get signed. It used to be, or often, that you'd have to get lucky and hope that some A&R would walk into some club. You'd probably move to a major city because that would give you a higher probability of that. Mm -hmm. They find you, they sign you, and at that point, you're a nobody, and so they have the leverage. But now, if you're a big artist, if you're a, a Lil Nas X who goes viral out of nowhere, you can dictate some of the terms because everybody wants you because you have proof that people like you. Right. And that has given artists more power to, to dictate terms. I mean, it's probably not the majority of cases, but it's it's a good number. I haven't heard a lot about music companies wanting people who have large followings in the crypto community. I'm sure there are some examples of it, but I think a lot of the big music companies are also a little wary. A lot of the promise of these new technologies has the potential to erode their power. And so their job is to figure out how they can kind of co-opt it and and not lose any of that authority. I think this is a key point. So just to go back to what you said previously, you know, TikTok is a deeply centralized platform, right? And so so is Twitter, so is Instagram. These are things that are run by companies that are themselves trying to make plays in music and they have relationships with labels. And part of what we've heard folks say is, well, in a decentralized future, you could have fans that would be listening to one thing over here and something else over here. Decentralization and scale are like opposite to each other. And it strikes me as something that would be a challenge for folks in A&R if they had to go to 15 different places to look at stream data rather than a handful. Yeah, I have a question on that note for you, though. Do you think so? You brought up those social media platforms, right? And they started off by offering people a chance to speak to smaller communities of fans, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like the big scale play at first. Mm -hmm. But then as people had success and really connected people that way, more and more users wanted to come onto Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it was. Network effects. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Do you see a similar pattern of playing out in the crypto space where it starts off as this decentralized notion and then you just end up having three or four or five companies that really run that part of the internet? We are definitely seeing it in like the financial part of crypto for better or for worse. But I think the point on the social media side is one, there is like almost no fully functioning proof of concept. Here is a decentralized social media platform based on crypto that is used by anybody who is not like a gigantic crypto nerd right now. I I always think of like, what are people in my group text talking about? Nobody's like, hey, I was on this one thing and I signed up with my wallet and it's great and you should all get there. Like it has not even hit the point at which those niche communities are bigger than micro, micro niche. What I do think will be interesting is if you do start to sort of realize network effects outside of the, as you mentioned before, the tiny universe of people who do have a crypto wallet and are comfortable in these spaces, then we might be having a, a very different conversation. And as I think we know, because we've, you know, we've, we've been in and around technology and entertainment, sometimes it's like slowly and then all at once, right? But right now it is so early and so slow that there just hasn't been a lot of evidence of it. Yeah. 
to your question, it would be a drag if you're an A&R <laughs> to have to follow people along 15 different platforms. The part that I think has the most potential to make things a little bit cleaner and easier would be blockchain because music royalties are so thorny. You know, you have artists who will wait months or years to get paid because everyone's trying to track it down. Right. Now, that's all potential right now. Mm -hmm. I think it's all so muddled and you'd have to get everyone on the same technology that it could be years before this gets adopted if it ever does. But that's certainly one where there needs to be a simplification of the payment process. And a lot of startups have come around and tried to do it and I don't think the industry was ready and so then they had to to change what they're doing. Right. So in an ideal world, you would be able to track in real time on this public ledger how much money you made from like record sales in Japan and the concert tour that you did in Austin and your merch. Yeah. And your share. I mean, songwriting is the one where it gets really complicated because it gets split like oftentimes five, 10, 15 different ways. And so anytime your song is listened to on any platform in the world, if you had a ledger that could immediately put mm -hmm. that into your wallet, that would be powerful. That would be much better than what happens right now. Got it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You can find more of Lucas's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, on Bloomberg.com, and on Twitter. He's at Lucas underscore Shaw. That's S-H-A-W. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, while the link between NFT prices and the prices of other tokens, or coins, like Ether and Solana, is not always straightforward, it's true that non-fungible tokens haven't been entirely spared from the chill of this crypto winter. To better understand NFTs and where they stand in crypto's recent downturn, I'll be joined by Bloomberg reporter Pratana Prakash. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at Crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergalina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producer is Sharon Barrero. Associate producer is Ty Butler. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, 
top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.